Wonderful. Okay. So this Torah portion is Noah. It's the second Parsha of the year. Chapter 6, verse 9 of Genesis, it begins and continues all the way through chapter 11. A long Parsha. Um, and it covers, of course, it, the, the, the main topic of the portion, named as it is for Noah, is the Great Flood and the aftermath. <clears throat> and uh, uh, then it also uh, tells the story of the Tower of Babel, Babel, which, is, which you'll, I think we'll look at that on Shabbat together. But today I want to focus on Noah. And um, I've been thinking about it myself. It, it, first of all, let, let's, let's remember some of the ground rules for how I approach the text. I consider it not to be history nor fact. I consider it to be sacred myth or fable or parable. It's there to teach us something about the human condition. Um, more than something, many things. And it covers a lot of ground, Noah. It can be read on many, many levels. You know, scholars for years, ever since the um, ancient Sumerian flood myths were discovered, uh, have recognized that this idea of a great flood was a, um, a theme that crossed many ancient Near Eastern cultures each one telling the story through their own cultural lens. That's a fascinating historical thing to take a look at, which illuminates a lot about early Judaism, about biblical, the, about the biblical religion of the ancient Jews. Uh, but I don't wanna focus on that today. Many people have focused on the fact that it's, even though it's the, it is a coherent narrative, it repeats itself and in places it contradicts itself and a close reading of the text leads many people to think that it's a weaving together of um, a variety of ancient uh, narratives about Noah. But we're not going to focus on that either today. Um, I've been thinking about it today and we'll see if our conversation goes in that direction. Um, as I reflect on our current situation, as perhaps an environmental or ecological parable, uh, because you know each story is going to speak to us through the um, the uh, the prominent issues of our own time, and that certainly is uh, in a, a worthwhile way of reading the story. Especially, you know, remember God is the God is the uh, creator of the universe, the protagonist, the shaper of creation. Um, but again, God is personified, anthropomorphized in a myth, just like all gods are. And um, what if we think of God as the earth? What if we think of God as the forces of nature? What if we think of God as the, as um, the origin of sentience, of awareness in the universe. There's so many different ways to read it that will allow us to expand our sense of what is it that humans are doing that causes the creator, the creative force to wanna wipe them out and start over. 
Um, and uh, you, you'll see from the text that th this, is, this is a legitimate way to, to look at it. Um, so I wanna turn to chapter six of uh, Genesis and take a look at the beginning of the portion. So Gwen's gonna share that with us. Thank you, Gwen. Uh, can we go back a couple of verses before the beginning of the Parsha? Mike, go back to uh, sure, where do you want to go to? Uh, verse five. Great. So the portion Noah begins in verse nine. You can see it on the left, the bottom of this little window. Eilat told Noah, these are the beginnings of Noah. But the prelude to the Noah story uh, is before then. So for example, so I wanna look at um, the line. So the story actually begins before the beginning of the Parsha. In verse five, it says, now yod Vavhe saw that great was humankind's evil doing on earth and every form of their heart's planning was only evil all the day. Pretty bleak. Um, but if you consider the Torah to be a meditation on the human condition, which it is, uh, trying to figure out why, I feel like the Torah is looking for a way to frame and explain why human, and this is why I find it so relevant still today, why human beings, given our inner sense, our ability to envision um, uh, peace and harmony, our understanding of our, our capacity, our potential, why do we screw it up so badly? This is the question that every thoughtful person grapples with. We come up with different answers, of course. Is there a final answer? I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a final answer. I'm looking for provisional answers actually that uplift us, that make us wanna be better, right? Um, and let me take a little excursion into theology here for a minute. I am, I think what you'd call a function I think that's the, the, the term for my theology. I am interested in a theology that inspires me to be the best person I can be. I don't care what, if your theology is the same as my theology. If for instance, you believe in a supernatural deity who is keeping a book with tabs on you and that makes you a better person then I like your theology, right? I am a, if you have a theology that says there is no cosmic meaning, it's up to each person to try to improve the world with it. I like your theology. I'm interested in theologies that functionally support us to be good people. If your theology makes you intolerant, uh, superior, um, grandiose, uh, then I question your theology and how you're interpreting it. So I just wanted to say that, that, that 
I'm not looking for a final theology. I'm looking for how the stories we tell about what our role is in the universe, whether they make us kinder, better, more thoughtful, more aware people. Okay, I just wanted to say that as, as an aside. Uh, that means I'm not a traditional theologian in that sense because I don't actually care about final answers. Um, I'm interested if people's theologies evolve over their lives. I'm interested in seeing the proof in the pudding. How does your belief system make you act towards other people? That's what matters to me. Okay, so the Torah, as I said, is grappling, and this is why it's still relevant, with how come when we know we can do better, we seem to be so screwed up. We seem to focus on self-interest at the expense of both our neighbors and of the earth. Uh, how is it that we're so short-sighted when we also have the capacity for um, long-term visioning and planning? How is it that we're so selfish when we have the capacity to understand how another person feels? What's with us? So the basic premise is set up in previous week's portion. We are part flesh and part spirit. That's one of the ways we're a mixture, we're not part. We are infused with both, both a yetzer, and that's the word in chapter, in verse five here. Uh, a a yetzer means um, their hearts, let's see, whole yetzer, every form of their hearts planning. Oh, that's a good, that's, that's one way to translate it. But in Judaism, your Yetzir is your uh, nature. And we're understood in Jewish thought to try to solve this conundrum of the human being that we are a combination of natures. We're not just one nature. Or you could say that it's our nature to be able to transcend our nature. Um, we are a contradiction in terms just by our very existence. Uh, and so looking at the evil that can happen, and now we're looking in, we are actually experiencing a time where the word evil in our society is um, appropriate, uh, a, a grotesque lack of concern for anyone but the self is evil. Um, an ideology that you then create to support your lack of concern is evil. That's the definition of evil for me. It's unhinged from human concern. So good, Barb says, uh, okay, good, let's keep reading. Then yod was sorry, yinachem. Yinachem means regretted. Ki asa et ha'adam, that God had ever created human beings. And it pained his heart. And God said, Yodhebabe said, et ha'adam, I'm going to erase humankind, Asher Barati, whom I have created, may Hadama, from the face of the soil. Uh, from man to beast to crawling thing and to the fowl of heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. Uh, Barb, my understanding of this is God is talking about. Adam here about human beings. He doesn't seem to regret uh, 
I know the language is confusing and I was looking at this myself, um, but I think it's because um, uh, it, God is speaking about human beings and God is going to start over because at the end of the flood, God says, okay, he repeats this line. I see that the um, uh, uh, heart's planning of human beings is selfish and evil from their youth. Therefore, I'm no longer going to destroy everything. I'm never gonna do this again. I'm gonna allow the experiment to continue. Uh, so that's what I think is what's saddening God is humanity is saddening God. And but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Now, if you're a Hebrew reader, you'll see that in verse, before you scroll down any further, um, uh, go up one, one more verse, please, Quinn, yeah. In verse six, Vayinachem Adonai, God regretted, thank you. And then Nichamti at the end of verse seven, do you see it? Your cursor is right there, Gwen. And then th those words mean regret, but Nachama also means comfort. And so the next line says, Venoach, Matzachin. Noah's, Noah's name means comfort. And so one of the word plays in all of this is that the same Hebrew word for regret, when deployed in a different way, means to comfort. Um, and so as usual with the Torah text, it's been, it's written as layered poetry with a lot of double meanings, alliteration, and all that kind of stuff. But Noah found favor, Matzachin. It's interesting that Noah's name, Nun Chet, and Chain, which means grace, which is the third word in that line, are just flipped. Nun Chet, Chet Nun. It's part of the art, the Noah Matzachin. It's all, it's not an accidental use of language. And now our portion begins. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous, wholehearted man in his generation. In accord with God, did Noah walk. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, good, verse 12, yes. This verse I wanna focus on because these are two words that also get repeated a lot. Vatishachet, Ha'aretz, lifnei ha'elohim. Now the earth had gone to ruin before God. Batimalei ha'aretz hamas. And the earth was filled with wrongdoing. Okay, so I looked up these words, hamas and shichet, uh, because they're going to come up several times here. Shichet means to corrupt, to ruin, to damage, or to destroy. So the earth had been corrupted, gone to ruin, damaged, destroyed because of human beings. Hamas. The earth was filled with wrongdoing. Now Hamas in Hebrew means violence or to actually it means to, to rob or to steal, but to, to 
what do you call it? To steal with violence, to rob violently. What's the word I'm looking for um, in the jurisprudence? Anyway. Armed, armed, robbery. armed, armed robbery. robbery. Armed robbery. Armed robbery. Okay. Um, I suppose so. Um, except that in this case, and this is where the language should resonate with us, with me, with us today, in my opinion. Um, the um, the earth had been violently robbed. Right. The earth had been violently robbed and corrupted. And this for me is where God's impulse is to wash the earth clean and start over. So that language is important uh, to recognize. Now, some, sometimes I, I wondered about the um, uh, Palestinian party, uh, Hamas. It turns out that Hamas is an acronym in Arabic that is unrelated to the Hebrew word Hamas, other than uh, that in Hebrew it means to uh, it means violent uh, assault, um, but that's not what it means in Arabic. Um, I just I just wanted to mention that for people who might have been curious about that. Um, and God saw the earth. And here, nishcheta, it had gone to ruin. Ki hishchit kol basar et darko al ha'aretz. For all flesh had ruined its way upon the earth. Again, I don't think it means um, uh, all creatures. I think it's referring to humanity. And God said to Noah, Ketz kol basar balafanai. The end of all flesh has come before me. Ki hamas, for the earth is filled with wrongdoing, with violence through them. And so hinani mashchita, there's that word. So the word shichet, destroy, appears again. I am going to bring ruin upon them along with the earth. So that's the um, pillage. Oh, Joshua, that's a good word. Um, uh, I think, I, I think sort of pillage is a good word. Yes, yes. Humanity has pillaged the earth. Now in Genesis, we are given dominion over the creatures of the earth, but it, God expects us to do this in a, shall we say, sustainable and responsible way. Apparently we're incapable of maintaining those limits and God has despaired, but not entirely. God is, a second chance is going to come. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make it with reeds. And cover it within and without with pitch. The word ark, teva, does not mean boat. A teva is a box. It's very interesting. And the ark 
that we put the Torah in is also called the Teva. So this isn't actually a navigable craft that's being created. It's, it's just gonna be a giant box containing all species bobbing on the surface of the waters. It's kind of remarkable when you think about it. Um, and then it describes how you're to make it. 300 cubits, 50 long, that's, imagine in ancient times, that's 450 feet long, 150 feet, uh, 75 feet across, and uh, uh, let's see, 30 its height, 45 feet high, a gigantic box. And a window, a skylight you're to make for the ark, finishing it to a cubit upward. Yes, the, the measurements are specific, it's so interesting. The entrance of the ark you are to set in its side, with a lower, second, and third deck you're to make it. And for me, he may be as for me, here I am about to bring on the deluge, water upon the earth to bring ruin upon all flesh that has ruach chayim, the breath of life in it from under the heavens, all that is on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You are to come into the ark you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And from all living things, you are to bring two from all into the ark to remain alive with you. They are to be a male and female each, from fowl after their kind and herd animals after their kind, crawling things after their kind. Two from all are to come with you to remain alive. And as for you, take for yourself from all edible things that are eaten and gather it to you. It shall be for you and for them for eating. And Noah did it according to all that God had commanded him. So Noah did. Um, anybody want to um, uh, write any thoughts, comments in the chat? Uh, Sometimes it's good just to read the story again and see what it's saying to us now. And of course, if there's nothing now, I'll be happy to continue, but you're always welcome to put your uh, comments and questions in. What did he mean by pure? Um, uh, animals that are um, uh, considered in the Torah to be um, uh, able to be eaten, kosher, as it were. Um, and kosher primarily refers to do the domesticated animals of that time, of, that, of the Israelites, sheep and uh, uh, goats and cows. So now let's look at verse six here in chapter seven. Thanks, Gwen. Noah was 600 years old when the deluge occurred, water upon the earth. And Noah came, his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark before the waters of the deluge and from the pure animals and from the animals that are not pure and from the fowl 
and all that crawls about on the soil. Two and two, each came to Noah into the ark, male and female, as God had commanded them. That's the famous line of two by two. Here, Avigail wrote that teva, which means box, also means word or term in Hebrew. And there are some magnificent interpretations of um, uh, what's going on here that is, uh, is Noah entrapped inside his words for the entire time? It, what kind of development is going on with Noah? And I think we'll talk about that in a little while. And Blaise said, what is the significance of the 40 days and nights, which seems to be repeated later, as well as the number 40? So a brief answer to that, my best insight, which may or may not be correct, of course, um, 40 is the uh, weeks of gestation um, of pregnancy for a person. And 40 in the Torah represents, um, is always used as a kind of a, a, a um, potent period of time. Uh, so the, the only, it's used over and over and over again in the Bible. And so my best sense of it at this point is that it might relate and refer to the time at, uh, between conception and birth of a new something. That's my best guess. Um, let's read on just so the imagery is uh, refreshed for us. After the seven days, it was that the waters of the deluge were upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second new moon, on the 17th day after the new moon, on that day, the, 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 then burst all the wellsprings of the great ocean and the sluices of the heavens opened up. The torrent was upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day came Noah and Shem, Ham, Yefet, Noah's sons and Noah's wife and his three sons' wives with them into the ark, they and all wildlife after their kind, all herd animals after their kind, all crawling things that crawl upon the earth after their kind, all fowl after their kind, all chirping things, all winged things. They came to Noah into the ark, two and two, each from all flesh in which there is the breath of life. And those that came, male and female, from all flesh they came as God had commanded him. And then yod closed the door of the ark upon him. So let's think about that. There is... Um, There is this container containing every species of life on earth, on dry land and in the skies. The fish presumably are managing. And um, it's up to Noah and his family to take care of them and keep them alive. 
I am wondering, as part of the arc of this, this telling, is that, is part of the story here that Noah and his family representing all of humanity have to learn how to not just live with, but care for all the creatures that they share the planet with? Maybe, and I'm not the first one to propose this, maybe the ark is a kind of a test. Maybe God, as it were, hadn't, even though, you know, God is, anthrop is, God is our, a projection uh, of, uh, of our humanity. Maybe God, in God's utter despair, simply can't give up hope simply loves God's creatures. And as we learn every year on the holidays, it's gonna give us another chance. And maybe the chance is a kind of a test. The test is, can Noah and his family take responsibility for keeping all of these species alive? Rabbi Ellen writes, like boot camp, take care of each other and the animals. Yeah, yeah, it's a boot camp. Oh, by the way, Paul wrote at 40 or mature in the Jewish tradition, ready for Kabbalah. So 40 might be also not just the time of conception to birth, but the time of birth to, mature, to true maturity. Mm -hmm. A 40 day cleanse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both life cycle concepts. That's right, Kimberly. That's where I think the 40 comes from myself. Okay. So maybe this, maybe God is saying, I'm going to give humanity one more chance. I'm looking at Noah, whose name means comforter. And I'm going to, and is the opposite of regret. I regret that I made human beings, but still something about them comforts me. And I'm going to choose this righteous one and see if they're capable of keeping, uh, of, of, of growing into what it means, not just to have dominion over the animals, but if you have dominion over them, to then care for them as well, rather than fill the earth with violence have dominion in a way that's benevolent and holistic, and that understands that the well-being of some requires the well-being of all. All of those concepts that God expected to be automatic when God created human beings in God's image, now God realizes maybe they need to be educated. Maybe they need to be tested. Maybe they need to be trained. If they're Yetzer, if their nature as physical beings is fundamentally only self-interest, then this divine nature that has been implanted in them has to be nurtured and um, um, uh, built up and developed. That's what I've been thinking about, about this time in the ark. Um, the deluge was 40 days upon the earth. The waters increased and lifted the ark. And here I just love the storytelling. 
so that it was raised above the earth. The waters swelled and increased exceedingly upon the earth so that the ark floated upon the face of the waters. And here the image for me, um, I think of Bucky Fuller's talking about spaceship earth is that ever since we saw the earth from space, we've moved into, and I've said this many times, we moved into a new, a new um, paradigm of consciousness about spaceship earth floating as it were on the face of the cosmic waters um, that we're all forgive me in the same boat and um, that it's up to us to keep everything alive. When the waters had swelled exceedingly, yes, exceedingly over the earth, all high mountains that were under all the heavens were covered. 15 cubits upward swelled the heavens, even the mountains were covered and then expired all flesh that crawls on the earth, fowl, herd animals, wildlife, all swarming things that swarm on the earth and all humans, all that had the breath of the rush of life in their nostrils, all that were on firm ground died. God blotted out all existing things that were on the face of the soil, from man to beast to crawling thing and fowl of the heavens that were blotted out from the earth, Noah alone remained and those who were with him in the ark. The water swelled upon the earth for 150 days. Oh, I'll read on. But God paid mind to Noah and all living things, all the animals that were with him in the ark and God brought a rushing wind across the earth so that the waters abated. The wellsprings of ocean and the sluices of the heaven were dammed up and the torrent from the heavens was held back. The waters returned from upon the earth, continually advancing and returning and the waters diminished at the end of 150 days. I don't know what that means, half a year. And the ark came to rest in the seventh new moon on the 17th day of the new moon. I wonder what that signified upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to advance and diminish until the 10th new moon. On the 10th, on the first day of the new moon, the tops of the mountains could be seen. And at the end of 40 days, it was Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. I love that image of Noah opening the window after the rain. They've been shut up in there and sent out a raven it went off, going off and returning until the waters were dried up from upon the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see whether the waters had subsided from the face of the soil, but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for there was water upon the face of all the earth. He sent forth his hand and took her and brought her to him into the ark. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove yet again from the ark and the dove came back to him at even time and here a freshly plucked olive leaf in her beak. So you probably are aware of this, but this is where the image of the dove with the olive branch comes from. 
the Hebrew word yonah. Yonah is a dove. So for us in the Woodstock Festival, uh, um, that's where it comes from. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided upon the, from upon the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she returned to him again no more. And so it was in the 601st year in the beginning month on the first day of the new moon that the waters left firm ground upon the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark and saw here the face of the soil was firm. Uh, starting over takes 40 days, said Paul, to experience physically, emotionally, spiritually, and attain next level. Yes. Now, how did the olive trees survive? Um, good question. <laughs> that's, why this, that's why we can't tell this story literally. We just have to imagine it as, as, as I said, as a fable, as a myth. Um, unless you want to talk about how the olive trees survived and how um, uh, there's other great stories about how the giants that used to walk the earth survived by one of them grabbing onto a plank outside the ark and holding on for the entire time. There's all kinds of good stories that uh, you can make up. Uh, let's go ahead to verse 20, 21, Gwen. So God says, okay, it's time to leave the ark. And then, so now the whole drama of what is burgeoning and then subsiding is over. They're back on dry ground. And Noah off, makes an offering of animal sacrifice to God. And it says, now yod smelled the soothing savor and yod said in his heart, I will never curse the soil again on humankind's account. Okay, so here is, here is like the initial impulse and now God's reevaluation. I will never curse the soil again on humankind's account. Ki yetzer lev adam ra minu rav. Since uh, God hasn't changed his assessment of human beings. Since what the human heart forms is evil from its youth, I will never again strike down all living things as I have done. N and then never again, all the days of the earth shall sowing and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night ever cease. Uh, oh, Charlotte said, and is there something uh, to be read into why the dove does not return? I think of a teen leaving home. Oh, that's nice, Charlotte. That could be your, if you were gonna do a teaching about this story, you could focus on this dove and this dove's journey. That's a beautiful thing. Joan said, sent his hand. Sent forth is a notable phrase used in the Akedah when Abraham had to send forth his hand to begin to slay Isaac. I wondered about that. Thank you, John. Now God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, bear fruit and be many and fill the earth. Okay, so I wanna spend a little time, go back one, one panel, uh, Gwen. 
Um, a little further back to where we were. Oh, wrong direction. You're heading further into chapter nine, but I want to go back to chapter eight. A little further. Thank you. Um, uh, so what's going on is that uh, God has reevaluated. God's not willing to destroy humanity. Um, ever the, I guess, ever the optimist, like all of us, hope springs eternal. Noah had successfully, and his family had successfully cared for all the animals in the ark. Maybe a new chapter can begin. Maybe. Maybe this time we'll get it right. Maybe this time our vision of how things can be and our actions will align. And so God says, this is it. I'm not going to ever do this again. And so I'm going to put a sign in the heavens. Let's go to verse nine of chapter nine. Thank you. As for me, says God, here I am about to establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with all living beings that are with you, fowl, herd animals, and the wildlife of the earth with you. All those going out of the ark of all the living things of the earth. So everyone has come off the ark and God says, okay, I will establish my covenant with you. All flesh shall never be cut off again by waters of the deluge. Never again shall there be a deluge to bring the earth to ruin. And God said, and this will be the sign of the covenant, which I set between me and you and all living beings that are with you for ageless generations. My bow I set in the clouds, my rainbow, so that it may serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Let's read a little further. It shall be when I be cloud the earth with clouds and in the clouds, the rainbow is seen. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and all living beings, all flesh. Never again shall the waters become a deluge to bring all flesh to ruin. When the bow is in the clouds, I will look at it to call to mind the age old covenant between God and all living beings, all flesh that is upon the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. So we can pause there. <sighs> right, so if you take this literally, as Paul says, um, we're safe, especially if we live in the mountains as sea levels rise. Uh, but <laughs> I think there's a deeper message here. Um, we see in the Torah that God amends God's own 
impulses. God, again, an anthropomorphized God, this is in the story, also has to learn how to control God's self. Um, this will be going on through the Torah. God is looking for human beings to work on this project together. We all have impulses where we wanna knock over the whole damn thing, throw the puzzle on the ground, kick over the sandcastle, whatever it is that we've been working on and say, this is never gonna work. And God has set up this experiment called Earth with this unusual species on it who uh, want to, who God sees as kind of special creatures who have this ability to be aware, to create, to destroy, to plan, to more than other species do. And um, uh, God is essentially showing us that God will restrain God's self uh, and not, not destroy us all again when we have once again either sullied or destroyed the, uh, filled the earth with violent crime, pillaged it, all the things that we're capable of doing. God is saying, I'm going to control myself. Now, are you going to control yourself? I've left Noah and his family in the ark for a, a year or whatever it is um, to take care of the animals. You did that successfully. So now fill up the earth and continue to do it in this way. Um, and uh, uh, let's see, Paul wrote, we as, chi as children, child awareness have a capacity to create, but somewhat limited involves mistakes. God as mother, universal awareness has a capacity to create everything, but it also is a work in progress. And Rabbi Ellen is reminding me that there's a blessing for seeing the rainbow. When you see a rainbow um, in Judaism, you say, who remembers the covenant, blessed are you who remembers the covenant, keeps this promise, is faithful to it. Um, we remember the promise of life and hope Thank you, Rabbi Ellen. Yes, rainbows are a great, amazing part of creation, aren't they? So what I wanna say about this is that um, Noah is faulted in traditional Jewish commentary because when God says, I'm going to destroy everything and here's what you have to do, Noah never speaks. In the next chapter, in chapter two, in the next Parsha, in chapter 12, God is going to speak to Abraham and Abraham's going to speak back to God. In chapter 18, when we get to the uh, um, story of Sodom and Gomorrah, another story of human beings having filled, filled their environment with violence. I mean, remember the Sodom and Gomorrah story is an origin story for how the Dead Sea came, plains, the salt plains of the Dead Sea came to be, utter destruction. And uh, when God tells Abraham, God says to Abraham, well, actually God says to God's self in chapter 18, I need to tell my friend Abraham about what I'm going to do. 
um, that I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And when, as you may recall, when uh, God then says that to Abraham, Abraham, it says, stepped forward and said to God, how can you do such a thing? Will not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Far be it from you. What if there are innocent people there? So Abraham is, a, is understood in the Jewish tradition to be a more, um, a, a more developed manifestation of what God was hoping for from human beings than Noah. Noah does what God commands. Noah does care for all the species on the earth. I wouldn't put Noah down for what Noah accomplished in saving humanity and being, being the progenitor of the rest of humanity. Remember, it's a whole new beginning after Noah and Noah and his family. They begin humanity again. But Noah doesn't match God in, by, by, by demanding that God also control God's violent nature. Abraham does. And so Abraham represents a whole new level in the Torah of what you, how human beings should behave and the kind of counterpart that God was hoping to create by creating human beings on this created planet that God creates. Someone who's going to meet God, step up to God and hold God up to high expectations. Um, and so Abraham merits um, to be in our tradition, the patriarch of our people because Abraham's ability to, um, and I'll say it again in that paradoxical language, to transcend that human nature when fully realized is our capacity to transcend our nature and to do things that are not always in our self-interest um, because we have a vision and a capacity for empathy and an understanding that all life is precious and that the dominion we've been given over life isn't a dominion to pillage, it's a dominion to, to tend to and nurture and care for. Uh, Paul Bloom says, greater generosity of spirit, more a bodhisattva, Noah, just a good boy. You could say that. Uh, um, but I would say the interesting thing about Abraham, Abraham is a, Jew, is a Jewish version of Bodhisattva. He argues with the decree. He argues with God's divine decree. He reminds God, God, you're better than this. And so comes this amazing Jewish dynamic that lives to this day of us also demanding more of God as we demand more of ourselves as it were. Uh, anyone have any other comments or, or, or thoughts? Abraham's a tzaddik, that's a better word. Better word for Abraham than a bodhisattva. And Torah, a guidebook to becoming like Abraham? Yes. Uh, Rabbi, can yes, you hear David. me? I can hear you, David. Good. Oh. One thing, I, I mean, you said it so very eloquently, 
But, you know, when people say see a rainbow, they say how beautiful it is. It's uh, when we see a rainbow, it means God decided not to kill us. Principally. Well, you could say it means God decided not to kill us. It means God empowered us to take care of the world. Yeah. Also, you know, also. Hold on, I want to say it again, Dave. God empowered us to take care of the world. God's not going to wipe it out again. It's up to us. That's yes. The mm -hmm. No, beautifully said. Uh, also, with uh, it's very funny. Sometimes I, I, I take it as a as a sense of humor where uh, what do you call it? Abraham defends uh, Sodom and Gomorrah up to the tenth person. You know, if there was ten, okay. If there's no ten righteous, then we're getting rid of Sodom and Gomorrah. But then when God says, uh, "I want you to sacrifice your son." Abraham said, oh, okay. You know, nothing. Well, Dave, <laughs> that's like coming attraction. So we'll talk about that when we get to that Parsha. Okay. Um, oh, Paul said in the Hopi snake dance to bring rain, it rains, but always followed by a rainbow, especially in the American Southwest. Oh, there's a lot of good rainbows out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I'll wrap up. Um, and uh, by, uh, by reiterating that we have filled the earth, um, just one sec, we have filled the earth with violence, right? With Hamas, armed robbery, pillage, um, the earth has become corrupted through our behavior once again. In the biblical story, God promises, I'm going to control myself. It's up to you now to learn how to control yourself. That's essentially the conclusion of the story. Noah got to practice tending to the totality of creation on the ark in a microcosm. And then we were released again to populate and, tend and to um, fill the planet. And so there's something certainly prescient um, about this story as on spaceship earth, we have filled it with pillage and corruption. Hope is not lost, um, but, the, but the message of the story for me, that it's our task to, given, having been given dominion over nature to the degree that we seem to be capable of, to then use that power with an understanding of the interrelatedness of all creation, I think that's truly one of our great challenges. No, maybe the great challenge for today. And I guess ironically, since we mentioned sea level rise, that won't be God's doing, that's our doing. Uh, I mean, if we wanna get really cosmically metaphorical about it, if the earth does go underwater, 
it won't be God's doing this time. It'll be ours, washing ourselves clean, washing our earth clean of our pollution. I hope, I still hope, I still, I'm still cautiously hopeful that humanity will figure out a way to enter into a more balanced relationship with the earth. And uh, um, I'm glad we read this story today. Uh, by the way, on um, November 18th, Ellen, would you announce it please? On November 18th, um, 